Welcome to our weekly podcast. Today, we're in week four of a message series called 31 Days of Prayer. Throughout the month of January, we're focusing on prayer as a conversation. Now, there's a lot of great descriptions about what prayer is and what prayer isn't, but at its core, prayer is simply communicating with God. If you have a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13. In this passage, we read Dr. Luke's account of how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. I'm going to read through this text in three parts because that seems like the natural divide as you work through it. So in verses 1 through 4, Jesus taught his disciples an important pattern for prayer. And this is a pattern that will be familiar to many of us. It's a pattern that we use as we pray. It says, One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. So this is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. It's also recorded in Matthew's Gospel. Now, while Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer is a little longer, they both contain the same pattern for prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Let's move on to verses 5 through 10. Uh, In these verses, Jesus encouraged his disciples to persevere in prayer, to keep praying and to not give up. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. This is an important truth that the Apostle Paul also echoed when he wrote to the Christians in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul said, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert, and here it is, be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So God wants us to be persistent in our prayers. He wants us to persevere and prayer. Let's look at the last section, verses 11 through 13. It's here that Jesus called his disciples' attention to the promised result of prayer. This is a great reminder for us today. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, we've talked about many of these truths over the past several weeks, and I believe all of these things about prayer. I believe that prayer changes people, specifically the person praying. I believe that prayer 
even changes circumstances. I also believe that the results of prayer aren't always clear. And we often refer to these kinds of prayers as unanswered prayers. Now, in reality, there's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. God always says yes, no, not right now, or never. But for the sake of today's message, I think we can all agree that the results of our prayers aren't always clear. Even when we talk about prayer as a conversation, just communicating with God, that prayer is still a mystery at times. Throughout the Psalms, we read prayers of deliverance, prayers of protection, and prayers to know and follow God more closely. Many of these prayers fall into the category of answered prayers. For example, Psalm chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. That sounds like answered prayer to me. Psalm chapter 5, verse 3. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. And then Psalm chapter 6, verse 9, the Lord has heard my plea. The Lord will answer my prayer. I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than that when it comes to answered prayer. Now, it's interesting to me that King David, a man who authored almost half of the Psalms, would often come to God in prayer from a position of weakness. He would come to God from a position of fear and even defeat. This is how he would often approach God. But he always seemed to walk away with a renewed strength, with God's courage and hope. I think our lives are lived and our prayers are prayed in similar ways. We come to God in prayer, often from a position of weakness, fear, and defeat. Yet, God renews us. That's what he promises. God's word is full of stories of answered prayer. For example, I think about the time when Peter was in prison And the entire church was praying for him earnestly. Acts chapter 12, verse 5, it says, But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. So the church learned to be a praying church. They were praying for this situation that Peter was in. The next few verses teach us about how God answered these earnest prayers. The night before Peter was going to face trial, an angel appeared before him in his cell. The angel actually hit him in the side to wake him up and then told him to stand up. Now we read that the chains immediately fell off of Peter's wrists. And then the angel led him out of the prison and out of the city. I mean, friends, this is an incredible example of answered prayer. Yet just a few verses earlier, in Acts chapter 12, verse 2, we read about how James, the brother of John, was persecuted for his faith, and he was actually killed with a sword. So at roughly the same time, one inner circle disciple was freed from prison, and he lived, Peter, and another inner circle disciple was persecuted and killed, James. So how is this possible? I mean, surely the church was praying for both of them. While God's word is full of stories of answered prayer, There are also many stories of what we often refer to as unanswered prayers, the no, not right now, or never kind of answers to our prayers. Moses prayed to be allowed to enter the promised land, but God refused his request because of his previous disobedience. 
King David spent an entire week on the ground in prayer, begging God to not allow his son to die. Now, this particular prayer falls into the category of unanswered prayer. Later, David would welcome another son, Solomon, into the world, but the son that he prayed for ended up dying. Four Old Testament characters prayed that God would allow them to die. Moses, Job, Jonah, and Elijah. But God ignored their requests. And the Apostle Paul, he pleaded with God at least three times to have his thorn in the flesh removed. And three times God denied his request. Now it was out of this experience that Paul wrote 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. This is an amazing passage. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. It's like Paul was saying, It's okay that I have this thorn in the flesh. It's okay that I'm weak because when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong in the Lord. What really matters is God's plan, God's purpose, not my own perspective of the worldly problems that I face. Friends, not even Jesus was exempt from unanswered prayer, the no, not right now, or never kind of answers. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed to his heavenly Father to find another way to save the world. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39 says, He went on a little farther and bowed his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. We know that Jesus went to the cross where he suffered and died for the sins of the world. So on one hand, God works through prayer to offer hope and healing in our lives. Yet on the other, we often experience disappointment when our prayers aren't answered in the way that we would like. Reflecting on the events of 9-11, Philip Yancey wrote a survivor story about a couple from India who were in separate towers as the terrorist attacks were taking place. Yet both of them made it down the stairs and out of the building before the buildings collapsed. They made it out alive. Now, the events of 9-11 affected them so much that they both ended up converting to Christianity. It's kind of amazing. Yet thousands of others who prayed to God that day, they didn't survive. Thousands of others would never see their loved ones again. I don't believe that there are easy explanations for things like this. I mean, even though... Prayer is just communicating with God. It's often a mystery. For the last half of the message today, I want to address this topic of prayer on a more personal level. Why does God say yes to some requests and no, not right now or never to others? While prayer is often a mystery, thankfully, God hasn't left us in the dark. God's word is full of important truths about prayer, many of which highlight what we do wrong when it comes to prayer. Let's talk about a few things that we often do wrong when it comes to prayer, things that might lead to God saying no, not right now or never. Now, some of our prayers go unanswered 
because number one, if you're taking notes, they're frivolous prayers. They're frivolous prayers. So frivolous prayers are flippant prayers or, or prayers that lack purpose. Uh, for example, the Super Bowl is coming up. A lot of people are excited about that. There's going to be thousands of people who pray something like this. Uh, Lord, I think I've been a pretty good person this year. Uh, please help my team win the Super Bowl. Now, I don't think I have to explain why this kind of prayer would receive a hard no from God. You know, Jesus actually had several frivolous prayer requests that people brought to him. Uh, the mother of James and John once asked Jesus to give her sons positions of honor in his kingdom. Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 23, this is what we read. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. So she knelt respectfully, all right? This wasn't done uh, quickly or in haste. And what is your request? He asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or on my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. We know that James was in fact persecuted and killed for his faith. So he drank from that bitter cup of suffering. But this was a frivolous, uh, foolish, and self-serving request from their mother. Uh, James and John both requested the exact same thing in Mark chapter 10. And Jesus said no on that occasion as well because it was a frivolous request. Uh, James chapter 4 verse 3 says that even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Uh, the apostle John summed up the relationship between prayer, our behavior, and our motives when he wrote these words in 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. And we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. Addressing this topic of prayer, Martin Lloyd-Jones once wrote about why people like George Muller or Martin Luther would seem to receive such spectacular answers to their prayers. Um, he said, we ask, why does God not answer my prayer? And he answered that man's prayer. We should ask, why is it that I've not lived the type of life which that man has lived? Man, that's a great quote. So friends, I want to caution you against praying frivolous, uh, foolish, and self-serving prayers. And instead, focus on living for Jesus. Sometimes our prayers go unanswered because we don't pray with the right motives. We only want the things that will improve our lives instead of the things that will advance God's kingdom. Well, some of our prayers also go unanswered because, number two, we pray contradictory prayers. Contradictory prayers. In his message a couple weeks ago, uh, one of our own church members, Ryan Ross, um, he shared a great message and a great quote from Richard Blackaby. Uh, this quote says, When God speaks... He does not give revelation about himself that contradicts what he's already revealed in Scripture. Rather, God speaks to give application of his word to specific circumstances in your life. When God speaks to you, 
He's applying to your life what he already says in his word. That's a great quote as well. When God speaks to us, regardless of the method or mode, he will never contradict what he's already revealed in scripture. And I would say likewise, when we communicate with God through prayer, when we bring our requests to him, we can't expect him to answer if our requests go against the truths of scripture, if they're contradictory prayers. So if our prayers contradict what we read in God's word, the answer will be no. Now, contradictory prayers can also refer to two or more believers praying for different results, but praying about the same situation. Last week, I shared a great verse about prayer from Matthew chapter 18. This verse highlights the importance of two or more believers agreeing about something in prayer and how there's actually power in that kind of unity. So Matthew 18, verse 19, I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. Now, I would say the opposite is true when there's a lack of unity in the church and believers are praying prayers that contradict one another. It was our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln. Now, he seemed to have solid theology and a right understanding about prayer. So during the Civil War, both the North and the South were claiming uh, that God was on their side. The, the generals, the people who led the militias and the armies, they would tell the soldiers that God was with them. What's ironic is both sides were doing this. Now, it was Lincoln who cautioned them to ask instead whether they were on God's side. See, friends, that's the question we should ask today. Not, is God on my side, but am I on God's side? Praying contradictory prayers, either against the truths of Scripture or in opposition to other believers, is one reason that our prayers go unanswered. Our prayers also go unanswered when we pray from, number three, a disobedient heart. A disobedient heart. Now, this is a truth that we all need to pay close attention to today. So if God says no to our request, um, or we're unable to accept the answer that he gives us, we may need to look a little deeper into our own lives, into our own heart. Now, we don't examine our heart in order to get the right formula for prayer or to get our way. We examine our heart to see if we're living in accordance with God's word and in accordance with his will for our lives. For example, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God by eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, their relationship with God and their relationship with each other was forever changed. Instead of walking with God, they hid from him. Instead of being unashamed, they were now ashamed. I don't want to water down this truth or share it too simplistically. But friends, disobedience to God's word is sin. And sin causes a rift between you and God. God has already done his part to reach out to you. It was while you were at your very worst that Christ died for you. That we're the ones who turn away from him. It's not the other way around. Now, I don't like this truth, but I have to share it with you. The reality is sin impairs our prayers. Let me say that again. Sin impairs our prayers. Praying with a disobedient heart will impair your prayers. Psalm chapter 66, uh, verses 18 through 20 highlights this truth. The writer says, If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer. Praise God. 
who did not ignore my prayer or withdraw his unfailing love from me. So please don't ignore the sin in your life, especially the sin that you think is small or insignificant. No sin is small or insignificant to God. Ask God to search your heart and to reveal the areas of your life where you've been disobedient to his word and disobedient to his leading in your life. Ask God to forgive you and to help you change your ways. And praying with a disobedient heart will impair your prayers. Well, finally, our prayers can go unanswered uh, even when, number four, they're sincere prayers. Even when they're sincere prayers. Sometimes God will say no when your prayers are not frivolous, when they're not contradictory, or when they're not prayed with a disobedient heart. Now, sometimes God's answer is simply no. Not right now or never. And when God says no, please understand, it's often a blessing in our lives. What would have happened if God had granted the specific request of each of the men that I mentioned earlier in the message? What if David's infant son had lived and had become king instead of Solomon? What if God had allowed Moses, Job, Jonah, and Elijah to die instead of fulfilling the rest of his plan for their lives? What if the Apostle Paul had been healed instead of learning to serve God with humility? His pride may have ruined him. And what if Jesus' own prayer had been answered in the garden? There would have been no payment for our sin, no promise of salvation, and no hope for eternity, only death and ruin for the entire human race. These are all important stories and examples of when God said no. And today we can be grateful that he did. So what are we supposed to do with a sermon like this? And how can you use the truths from this message to make a difference in your own prayer life? I want to suggest three short things that I believe will help you apply what we've talked about today. Number one, don't spend your time trying to search for the right prayer formula. There's no fixed formula for prayer. There's patterns for prayer that you know Jesus gave us and other people in scripture gave us and we can use those and we should but it's not about saying the right words or getting the right results even it's about communicating with God it's about growing in your relationship with him and learning to live in a way that honors him and brings him glory so don't spend your time trying to search for the right formula number 2 don't give up on the promises or conditions of prayer So Jesus said, I will do whatever you ask in my name. Well, he also said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. So there are promises and conditions that come with prayer. So keep reading God's word. Keep applying his truths to your life. Keep praying even when it's hard to pray. Persevere in prayer. C.S. Lewis once said, the dauntless faith called for by Jesus, occurs only when one who prays does so as God's fellow worker, demanding what is needed for the joint work. So in other words, the person who works in close partnership, in close relationship with God, grows in the ability to discern what God wants to accomplish on earth, in their life, and that person prays accordingly. So the key is to stay connected to Jesus, stay connected to the vine. Number three, be willing to wait for God to answer and to work. 
So be willing to wait. Be patient. There are some things that we can ask for unconditionally. Things like forgiveness, God's wisdom, compassion, love, and faith. There are other things that are more conditional, like Paul's plea to have the thorn in his flesh removed. But we're often called to simply wait on the Lord and to seek him above all else. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 25 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. So remember, when God says no, not right now or never, this is ultimately for his glory and for our good. When God says no, it's a blessing in our lives. When God says no, it provides an opportunity for us to trust him more. And in the end, God can work all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose for them.